From Spa Damer and Tenney, it's White Coat Wellness, a show for doctors who are ready to improve their financial wellness. We know you work hard to help your patients, but you can't be at your best if you don't have your own finances in order. In White Coat Wellness, we highlight real-life stories from physicians and dentists to educate, encourage, and inspire you to personal, professional, and financial wellness. Now, from Spa Damer and Tenney, please welcome your host, Shane Tenney. This episode of White Coat Wellness brought to you by Common Bond, simpler, smarter student loans for a brighter future at commonbond.co. So a couple of months ago, I was having lunch with my good friend, uh, today's guest, who I'll introduce to you in a minute, and a topic of financial decision making came up. And in particular, what we know is that docs and dentists face all kinds of unique pressures when it comes to financial decisions from the pent up demand of being in training for over a decade to the social pressure of being a high income earner. There's unique opportunities with your money, like buying into a practice or a medical building. There's the phenomenon that we'll talk about in a little bit called the bias towards complexity. At any rate, I I realized that you would be well served to be part of the conversation that I got to have with my dear friend, today's guest, Dr. Sanjeev Lakia. Dr. Lakia is a physician with Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine in Charlotte, North Carolina, and is joining us today to talk about making money decisions as a doctor. So Sanjeev, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Shane. Now, when we were together a couple months ago, and when I came up with a harebrained idea to do this podcast together... We both got excited about the idea I think you brought up of maybe writing a book or doing a talk together about health and wealth for physicians. And I just was wondering if you might start by kind of expounding on what you've seen or experienced in your career that makes you think there's a a need for some resources on this topic. Well, I think they're very important topics, uh, not just for physicians, but for all the patients that I see on a daily basis. Number one, you cannot function at an optimal level. You cannot have a high quality of life if you don't feel good, if you don't live a healthy lifestyle. And that involves the ability to eat healthy food, make good choices with stress management and with exercise. And sometimes the freedom to make those healthy choices will come from the stability of your financial house. So the two are definitely linked together. And I think making good decisions with what you purchase, trying to minimize your bad debt, can have a profound effect on your ability to feel well and stay healthy and live a high quality of life with good relationships and be connected with people. And how did those two topics as health and wealth for physicians, how's that concept kind of trickle down to your profession? Well, it's very essential to consider these. Uh, Physicians have limited time. We're extremely busy in the office and making good decisions and good choices with our time management and with our financial management can create the freedom to maintain a healthy lifestyle, not just physical health, but me quite well, Shane, and I'm a big proponent of holistic health and wellness and creating space to have good emotional health, lower your stress. It's essential. And a lot of that starts with the financial decisions that you make. In your life over the last decade plus as a physician, have you felt the, I don't know, the financial peer pressure is prevalent within the doctor community? Yeah, it's definitely there uh, to an extent. Some of that is reasonable. I mean, you spend a long time in school and you defer, defer, defer. And at times, you know, I would see my my college friends enter their 
corporate careers much earlier than I would. And, you know, you can get caught up. You can see them going on vacations and getting houses and new cars. And once you get your first job as a practicing doc and you, you get your contract and your salary, there's an urge, a tendency to ramp up your lifestyle real quick. And, you know, whether it's a new shiny car, big house or what have you. So that's definitely there. There's a, there's a stigma in society about physicians and wealth, but what you have to learn is all those things come in good time. And if you surround yourself with a proper team and get your priorities straight, you can accomplish all of that and keep yourself on track with your financial goals versus making poor decisions early in your career that put unnecessary stress on your financial decision-making. What was the transition for you like from residency into practice in terms of kind of this financial stress or the expectations that you were alluding to? It's challenging. When you're in residency, your sole focus is on learning how to be a good physician, learning how to take care of patients properly. And I was very fortunate. I had terrific teachers and mentors during my residency. But very quickly, once you go into clinical practice, my first position was in Cincinnati and I joined joined a large multi-specialty group. And I, I recall our very first department meeting uh, lasted about two hours. There wasn't a single thing talked about patient care and the entire conversation was focused on business metrics. So it's like you're learning a new language. Uh, you go from vital signs of heart rate, blood pressure, temperature to vital signs of RVUs, collections, charges. And uh, there's a big learning gap. Now, fortunately, I was able to collaborate with you and your team during residency and begin to expand my knowledge with regards to medical economics. So I had a little bit of knowledge going in, but it, it can be rather rather abrupt and difficult to uh, to swallow as you start to transition into a clinical practice. And is there a, is there a peer pressure element that, that surfaces when you're in the, in the doctor's lounge and yes. talking about decisions and choices yes. and things like that? If, if you're, if physicians are honest with themselves, particularly if they're in a, what we call um, a productivity model where the more you do, the more you make. Yeah. Those that are perceived as bringing in more revenue are thought of as the hard workers. And those who maybe are at the bottom of the tier are thought as potentially not as hard workers. So now you're taking financial metrics and you're applying that to a label of someone's integrity and work ethic. And that's challenging. It takes a lot of personal integrity to take your eyes off of that and just continue to focus on doing what's right for the patient. So for you, you've got a good money vocabulary and and a natural acumen just from knowing you for these many years. Did you come by that naturally? Was that your own curiosity? Were you taught a lot about money as a child? How do you not feel overwhelmed by this topic? Well, I think I've made a lot of mistakes with money (laughs) and making mistakes. That's the best learning experience. So it's it's somewhat of a self-imposed education. And I've been surrounded in my life by people who knew a lot more than me. So I've been able to absorb that. And I just, I just find the topic uh, stimulating and interesting because, you know, for, for myself personally, establishing freedom in my life to pursue my goals and dreams is very important. And a large part of that is establishing how you manage your money uh, personally and within a relationship and for your family. You mentioned you made a lot of mistakes. Is there one that comes to mind you might be willing to share to help keep one of our listeners out of the ditch? Well, I, I think the first mistake is to assume that just because I'm a physician that I know what I'm talking about with money. I see that quite a bit. And 
I know how to manage spine care. And if I get out of my lane, sometimes I can't see it. So I've made mistakes. Uh, and one that comes to mind is uh, real estate investing. It sounds extremely glamorous. It's a, a path to financial freedom. Be your own boss. Uh, more billionaires are made off of real estate than any other asset class. You know, I've read it all. Rich dad, poor dad. But when you get into the nitty gritty, it is not a passive income source. There's a lot of work. And for me personally, in my experience with attempting to get into investment real estate, I found it to be overwhelming at times. Take your eye off the ball and all the details matter. So it, it didn't fit with my lifestyle and my career demands and personal demands. So I would just caution anyone who's getting into that. It certainly can be done and done well, but it takes a lot of uh, education, a lot of research and a lot of time and dedication. Would you elaborate? Can you can you tell the story at all sure. a little bit about one of those? Yeah, um, we invested in a office condominium space in Cincinnati. It was a small 1,200 square foot unit as a potential uh, play on asset appreciation and, and maybe late in the career, a, a little place to have a private practice when I was in Ohio. And it all started great. Uh, we had a tenant on a five-year triple net lease, which means they covered the, the taxes and, and the rent. And everything's great until the tenant leaves. And then I had a vacancy. And that was right in the middle of the real estate downturn where there was basically tumbleweeds going through the parking lots of these commercial commercial buildings. So you would think having an empty unit was no problem, except I was so busy in my clinical career that some basic things like keeping utilities on and just monitoring monitoring things came back to bite me. I think we had the pipes freeze. They busted. It caused a flood. It was a real disaster. Uh, fortunately, I had taken some steps to protect myself at insurance in place. But frankly, it did cause some grief for some other tenants, and, and, and I really felt bad about it. But it just reminded me that everything takes work and effort for you to do it well. It makes me think as you tell the story, I think you use the phrase just kind of staying in your lane. There's that phrase, you just don't know what you don't know. That is correct. Yes, that is correct. There, there was nothing in Robert Kiyosaki's textbooks that emphasized to me that in Cincinnati during the winter, don't forget the pipes freeze. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I know you've got some more to share from the role you play serving in your practice. Sure. And I want to hear about that right after this break. I'm Will Coster, and on this episode's White Coat Wisdom, sponsored by Common Bond, we're talking about student loans, specifically paying back your student loans. You worked hard for your degrees, and chances are you're one of the many physicians or dentists that had to borrow quite a bit to get through school. My question for you is, when is the last time you thought about your repayment strategy? If you're not pursuing public service loan forgiveness or on an income-driven repayment plan, then you should really consider reducing your interest rates through student loan refinancing. In fact, our team at Spot Amron Tenney has partnered with Common Bond to offer our clients discounted rates that you can't find anywhere else because we know it's an important part of your finances. Common Bond has helped thousands of physicians and dentists save money and get out of debt quicker. The honest truth, in my own experience, is that they offer simply amazing customer service. They also have borrower protections like up to 24 months of forbearance, just in case you run into any financial difficulties and need to press pause on your monthly payments. Also, if you're still in training but you have your job lined up, you can refinance now and keep payments on hold until you start working. This is a great way to start saving on interest sooner and build some cash before you transition into practice. If you're interested to see if refinancing is the right repayment strategy for you, you can head to cbpartner.co/sdt or you can reach out to our team at Spot Amron Tenney directly. 
Again, that link is cbpartner.co slash sdt. So Sanjeev, you sit on the finance committee with your practice and in that role, I understand you often get to hear about a, a wide range of different options that are available to the group, investment opportunities, business dealings, things like that. I'm curious from that experience, what what's the due diligence that your committee brings or that you personally kind of bring to evaluating those sorts of opportunities? Well, you have to be deliberate in your evaluations. There's a lot of a lot of investigation in terms of talking to people through your connections. It's always better to find out about an experience through someone you know and trust than to read uh, pro formas, which at times can be slanted or factually incorrect. Uh, there's a lot of deliberation uh, internally amongst do certain opportunities fit our cultural values and uh, do those opportunities fit your personal values. Uh, so the biggest thing that I've learned is not to rush into uh, decision-making uh, with investments. Now, you've brought up something that I just have to ask you to elaborate on, and that is the holy grail of investment propositions to doctors groups, which is the pro forma. Sure. In your experience, could you explain how reliable are pro formas? I view pro formas as propaganda. <laughs> First of all, explain for, uh, in case there's someone listening who's not familiar with the term, what's a pro forma? A pro forma is basically a projection. It kind of is a created uh, model in terms of what type of revenue, what type of expenses, what type of net return you might be able to obtain at a one, three, five, or 10-year mark on a certain type of investment, whether it's a whether it's a product that's being created or a real estate building. And it's, it's kind of like a best guess, but it's created by the people that are trying to sell you on it. So it's not totally useless. It's just a starting point. But if you accept that totally without questioning and doing your own due diligence, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, I think it's such a, an important point when you brought up the, the word. I hear it so often in the phone calls that I sometimes get from physicians say, I just heard about this opportunity. Can I email you the pro forma? I think this could be a great way to you know, diversify or, or whatever the case is. And, and, and often it's, do you understand this is really just an Excel spreadsheet with numbers somebody made up? That is so, correct. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. Now, several years ago, Daniel Kahneman wrote a really popular book called Thinking Fast and Slow, which really helped highlight the growing area of study that is called behavioral finance. And, and this is really just the study, this behavioral finance is the study of the influence of psychology on the behavior of investors or financial analysts. And it focuses on the fact that investors are not always rational, believe it or not, and have limits to their own self-control and are influenced by their own biases. Um, you mentioned earlier about, or I mentioned about not knowing what you don't know. There's a variety of things that just go into the decision makings that we make that maybe you or your colleagues make on the finance committee. And so there's a number of biases that I think you and I have talked about that often I read or hear about. And I wondered if you would kind of elaborate a little bit on the overconfidence bias, which I think you've obtusely referred or obliquely referred to earlier and, and talk a little bit about that tendency that we have to kind of hold a, a false or, or misleading assessment of our own skills and abilities. Some of that's natural. 
you know, especially as physicians where we've gone through extensive educational training, tremendous amount of problem solving, I think it's natural to have some confidence in your ability to evaluate not just medical decisions, but most decisions in life. So that in and of itself is a tendency you have to resist. And that's where I think it, it really becomes valuable to surround yourself with a good team. And that's friends and family and consultants that you trust, but also that aren't afraid to look you in the eye and question your decision making. So for me, again, sometimes in life, mistakes are the best lessons. And you have to have the ability to be honest with yourself and uh, learn from your mistakes. But, you know, it, it is, as physicians, we're, we're making hundreds and hundreds of decisions a week. So it almost comes natural for us to be able to look at something that's maybe not medical and be able to break it down, we think, internally and come to the right conclusion. And oftentimes we certainly can. I'm not trying to denigrate my own profession, but I do think it is worth our while to bring in other members in our circle to help evaluate particularly big decisions. And that is a nice segue to, I think, one of the other biases that has gained increased awareness just through this con conversation or, or the, the study of behavioral finance, and that is confirmation bias, where we tend to just seek out information that confirms what we already know. Is there a scenario you can think of where that's been present in your own decision-making through something or, or a scenario that you can remember? Oh, sure. I mean, I'll come back to the real estate investment. You get an idea, hear an idea on a podcast, and you go read all the books, and all the books confirm how great the idea is. And then you try and seek mentors who have done it well, and they tell you how great it is. And you don't really learn about the other side of things until there's a problem. So, you know, on the one hand, finding people who have like opinions, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're on the right track and that you're kind of in the flow. And then when people come up with conflicting views, it, you feel a little bit of resistance internally and you want to kind of move away from that. So it's always easier in life to go with the flow than swim upstream. And that doesn't always lead you to a good place, though. Mm -hmm. And what about if I could ask your opinion on... on I think one of the biases that I opened our session with today, which is this, the bias towards complexity. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if, if that, if you might talk about that both in terms of how it affects, if there's uh, if that shows up in, in your, in the clinical world as a practicing physician or where the bias towards complexity shows up in, in financial decisions. Yeah. As a physician, we are often presented with investment opportunities and the more complex they are, the more exciting they seem. And you kind of can have this feeling like, wow, I'm, this, I'm in this exclusive club and that only certain people get these offerings. And it, it does make you feel good. Uh, it's a little bit of an injection of adrenaline for your pride. But what I've learned as, is sometimes if you just can't understand it and explain it in a simple way, you probably should stay away from it. It's not exciting to get wealthy collecting dividend checks from Walmart stock, but it sure is easy to understand. And you can probably stay out of trouble doing that. So it's just something, again, where you're really talking about not necessarily your financial knowledge or skill set. A lot of these decisions come down to how do you manage your emotions and how do you keep your eyes focused on your goals for yourself and your family? And that tends to keep you more along uh, the path that you're looking for. Now, we started the conversation and we started uh, our, our lunch a couple months ago talking about this idea of health and wealth and doing a book or a podcast, which sure. maybe we're now doing a physician burnout is getting a lot of attention these days, stress, anxiety. I know clinical pressures are an enormous or probably the most significant factor in that. But what role do you think personal decision-making financial decision-making plays in 
kind of this stress and, and burnout discussion? It plays a lot. You want to be able to separate the pressures you have financially from your clinical decision making. And you know, I mentioned this earlier. And you know, fortunately for me, I'm in a group where we are laser focused on putting patients first. And we have a model that supports that. And I work with terrific partners who value that above everything else. But there are situations where if your financial house isn't in order, you can feel a little added pressure to see more patients, do more uh, procedures. And that in and of itself, just as a numbers game, can burn you out. You know, because even though we see hundreds of patients uh, a week, you know, we're still in the need of restorative aspects of our life, of being able to have space for our families, space for our spiritual life, and just space to breathe. So if you have the added stress of trying to sustain a lifestyle that puts a huge financial pressure on yourself, that can really flow over into your career and work life. Uh, and, and that's where the two can become intertwined. As we get ready to wrap up, I'm wondering if you could think with me of two different people that might be listening to our podcast. There's, there's undoubtedly somebody here, somebody listening to us who's early in their career, maybe finishing fellowship or residency or just starting out and thinking, wow, that doc sounds really sharp. He sounds really uh, like he's made a lot of good decisions. What, what's the tip or the suggestion that you would have for them? And then I'm thinking there's somebody else listening who's thinking, I wish I'd taken a little dose of Sanjeev's medicine a decade ago, and I don't feel like I've got as much financial wellness in my life as I wish I had. What would be your thought for that? I am really not that sharp when it comes to finances. Again, um, all I've done in my career is paid attention to the results of decisions, and at least I've had a flexible approach. Uh, so I think that's number one is be willing to be self-critical and accept the criticism of others in your decision-making. And predominantly, if you're in a relationship with your spouse, I think that's super important. Um, I've been blessed to be supported by uh, my wife, Teresa, who's extremely sharp, and she's an accountant, as you know. But I think get involved early. Don't keep your head in the sand. If you're a resident, if you're coming into a new practice, a new career, you can't just focus on your clinical studies or else you're going to get left behind and you might get taken advantage of. So subscribe to the journals, medical economics, listen to the podcast and make the investment early with a financial team. You know, we've been blessed to be supported by Spa Dameron Tenney for my entire clinical career. And you know, there's a lot of debate about is it worth the potential fee, the 1% and uh, you know, I've, I've read books out there, even from gurus like Tony Robbins, about that 1% can add up to hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of your life that you're missing out on. But I would make the argument that you could lose just as much, if not more, by making bad decisions. And it's really priceless to have someone by your side who can be a part of your family and your career and help you stay on track with your financial goals and make sure they align with your personal goals. So number one, educate yourself. Number two, surround yourself with people smarter than who you are. And number three, be a good listener and be self-critical. And that those three things will carry you a long way. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks, Sanjeev. Thank Thanks you. so much for being here yeah, today. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Will Coster. And on this episode's White Coat Achievements, a segment that highlights noteworthy achievements by your friends and colleagues, we're highlighting a resident who is currently serving on a medical mission trip in Honduras. 
Dr. Aaron Brandt is a chief orthopedic surgery resident at Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is currently serving alongside our guest from Episode 3, Dr. Joseph Shu, at Hospital Escuela in Honduras. To put the work that they're doing in context, our busiest trauma centers in the United States see about seven to 8,000 trauma admissions a year. At Hospital Escuela in Honduras, they see about 15,000 trauma admissions a year. That's almost two times busier than the busiest U.S. trauma center. So you can imagine the impact they make on a medical mission trip is quite profound. Dr. Brandt is serving with the RESTORE team, which stands for Reconstructive Surgery and Transmission of Operative Resources and Education. Dr. Brandt is the second resident civilian to have the opportunity to travel to Honduras through this program and learn from the local surgeons there. Spa Damaranteni is thrilled to support Dr. Brandt on his medical mission trip and to be a small part of the impact these surgeons have on the Honduran community. Upon completion of residency, Dr. Brandt is pursuing a pediatric orthopedic fellowship at the University of Colorado in Denver. If you'd like to learn more about the Restore effort or Spot Amaranteni's Go to Grow scholarship, you'll find the links in the show notes. As always, if you know someone who is wearing a white coat and is achieving something noteworthy, please drop us a line. We'd love to hear about it and might even feature them on a future episode. But again, this episode's white coat achievement goes to Dr. Aaron Brandt. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of White Coat Wellness. You can stay in touch with other colleagues, dentists, and physicians interested in financial wellness through our White Coat Wellness Facebook group. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. You can email me with any ideas, suggestions for future episodes at shane at whitecoatwell.com. All the information is down in the show notes below. Thanks so much. We'll see you here next time. This episode of White Coat Wellness is over, but you're not alone on your journey toward financial wellness. Spa Dame Rinteni has been helping physicians and dentists with their financial planning for over 60 years, and we'd love to answer any questions that would be of help to you. Visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Once again, that's sdtplanning.com, and we'll see you on the next episode of White Coat Wellness.